Welcome to Leading from Behind, a podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy, produced by the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I'm Barry McClatchy, and this is episode number four, First Sessions in Solution-Focused Therapy, Some General Considerations. So this is the first in a series of episodes that will be devoted to first sessions in solution-focused therapy. Now, in this episode, I'll be talking about some general considerations in advance of a first session in solution-focused practice. In particular, I'll be looking at the reasons why the first contact with a client is so critical to a positive outcome, regardless of the therapeutic approach. Second, I'll examine the unique solution-focused position as it pertains to first sessions. And finally, I'll identify three key questions the solution-focused therapist aims to address by the conclusion of a first session. In the closing resource segment of the program, I'll identify two books and a website that might be of interest if you'd like to learn more about solution-focused therapy. So, once again, welcome to Leading from Behind. I hope you'll find this episode useful. There's a variety of estimates in the research literature about the average number of sessions that people attend therapy. For the most part, this average seems to run between four and eight sessions. But whatever number you choose, it really doesn't tell the whole story. This is because a small proportion of people attend therapy for a large number of sessions, which of course drives up the average. The reality, though, is that a a larger number of people really only attend one session of therapy. Now, we can reasonably say that some of the people who attend only one session of therapy found it helpful and decided that no further sessions were required. But at the same time, we can also say with some confidence that the others didn't find the first session helpful, and quite likely they voted with their feet and decided not to return. Now, just by looking at these numbers from a distance, we really have no way of knowing about what wasn't helpful and led to that decision not to return. But the growing body of research that supports the use of feedback-informed treatment practices, a subject we'll be looking at very closely in a future episode, certainly gives us some clues about why someone might drop out as a result of their experience in a first session. For example, a poor therapeutic alliance could be the culprit. In other words, the client might not have felt heard, understood, or respected. Or it's possible that the focus of conversation didn't center on what was important to the client. And finally, the means and methods used by the therapist might not have been a good fit for that particular client. Now, the point to be made here is that the first session is critically important in connecting with our clients. If we fail to do any of the things I just mentioned, we just might not get another chance to get it right. So, as a result, in a first session, we want to make sure that we're talking about what's important to the client. We also want to make a strong effort to find out what clients want from the therapeutic conversation. And perhaps most of all, we want to ensure that they feel heard, understood, and respected. Now, these ideas about the critical importance of the first session are very compatible with the therapist's position and objectives in solution-focused therapy. Unlike most approaches, the first session isn't regarded as an assessment or the first step in some kind of unfolding course of treatment. Instead, in solution-focused therapy, we begin from the premise that each session, including the first, may in fact be the last one. So in solution-focused practice, we certainly believe that a great deal can be accomplished within any given session. 
As a result, we approach each session with some very well-defined objectives that allow us to be focused on what the client wants from the therapeutic conversation. Now, in a first session of solution-focused therapy, these objectives are reflected in three key questions that we want to be able to answer at the conclusion of the session. The first question is as follows. What are the client's best hopes from the conversation? Now, what we're looking at here is some kind of general expression of what the client wants to achieve as a result of the time spent together. So in practice, this could be something like, I want to have a better relationship with my partner, or I want to have more confidence, or perhaps I want to be in a better mood. Now, the second question is directly linked to the first. And quite simply, this question is, how will the client know that these best hopes have been realized? Now, this question is really about the client's preferred future. In other words, we want to have a clear understanding of the client's unique ideas about what he or she might be doing or doing differently when they have a better relationship with their partner or have more confidence or when their mood is better. Now, the third key question we want to answer before the conclusion of the first session is a very simple one. And this question is, is what the client wants within the scope of our role as the therapist? Or put another way, is it something we can be helpful with? And of course, the answer to this question may be connected to the context of the helping environment. So for example, if the client wants help with obtaining some kind of tangible resource, like finding a job, or wants your help in supporting them with a legal matter, then it's obviously important to clarify the limits of your role as a therapist. Nevertheless, if we can't be helpful with what the client wants, it's still important to investigate whether there still might be something else connected to what the client wants that could still be achievable within a therapeutic conversation. Now, having a clear understanding of these questions is important in a first session of solution-focused therapy for a number of reasons. First, by focusing in on what clients want and getting a clear idea of their preferred future, we increase the likelihood that we've talked about what's important and, as mentioned previously, that clients feel heard, understood, and respected. Second, it creates the possibilities for the client to begin to move, even in some small way, towards his own unique preferred future, in some cases to the extent that further sessions might not even be necessary. And finally, by achieving this clarity in the first session, we have a focus and a direction for any further sessions that might follow. So in summary, we've been looking at some of the general considerations in preparing for a first session in solution-focused therapy. We want to recognize that first sessions are our primary opportunity to formulate a useful therapeutic alliance, and we want to create the circumstances that invites the possibility of immediate progress towards what the client wants. And finally, we want to ensure that we have a clear understanding of the client's best hopes from the conversation, as well as how they'll know when these best hopes have been realized. Now, of course, this isn't always easy to accomplish. So in upcoming episodes, we'll be looking very closely at some of the questions, skills, and techniques that help in making the first session in solution-focused therapy a useful one for the client. In each episode of the podcast, we like to identify a few resources that might be of interest to solution-focused practitioners. This time, we want to mention two books and a useful website. The first book is More Than Miracles, The State-of-the-Art of, of Solution-Focused Therapy by Steve DeShazer and Yvonne Dolan, with contributions from Harry Corman, Terry Trepper, Eric McCollum, and Insu Kim Berg. 
Released in 2007, this is a comprehensive book with lots of examples of solution-focused conversations, as well as some detailed commentary about various skills and techniques used in solution-focused practice. The second book is Beyond Technique in Solution-Focused Therapy, written by Eve Lipchick and published in 2002. Solution-focused practice is often regarded as an approach that ignores emotions. This book is a very useful one in understanding how the approach actually does connect to the client's emotions in its own unique way. The book also looks at how solution-focused therapy is effective in fostering meaningful therapeutic alliances. Now finally, I'd like to draw your attention to the website of Kurt Visser, a psychologist in the Netherlands who is active in training solution-focused practitioners. His website is called Doing What Works and can be found at solutionfocuschange.blogspot.com. The site is filled with excellent content about the approach and its many applications. Frequently updated with new articles and resources, it's a website that's well worth investigating on a regular basis. So we've reached the end of this episode, and I'd like to thank you again for joining us. In Episode 5, we'll return to our examination of first sessions by looking at the initial components of the first therapeutic conversation in solution-focused therapy. In particular, we'll be looking at discovering the client's best hopes from the conversation, hearing the client's story, and ways to incorporate coping questions and indirect compliments. Now, just as a reminder, new episodes of Leading From Behind will be available on the 15th and 30th of each month. You can find the show notes for each episode, which include any web links mentioned on the program, on the podcast page at the Halifax Brief Therapy Centre website at hbtc.ca. You can also subscribe to the podcast through iTunes. Simply follow the link on the podcast page on our website, or look for us in the training subcategory of the education section on the iTunes store. Subscription, of course, is free, and you'll be able to download the podcast to your computer, tablet, or mobile device. Now, if you'd like to give us some feedback about the podcast, or if you'd like us to mention an organization, book, or upcoming training opportunity related to solution-focused practice, you can send us an email to feedback at hbtc.ca, or leave a comment on the podcast page at hbtc.ca. In closing, our thanks to Dano at danosongs.com, provider of royalty-free music used under Creative Commons license. The music used in this episode is entitled Seven Skies. So you've been listening to Leading From Behind, episode number four. I'm Barry McClatchy from the Halifax Brief Therapy Centre. I hope you'll join us again. Mm-hmm.